Welcome to the True Craft Podcast. I am your host, Chris Farman, founder and CEO of Small Batch Standard, the premier financial agency built to serve the craft brewing industry. And as usual, we're here to discuss topics that are on every brewery owner's mind. Today's topic is leadership. Brandon and I kick it off by talking about different leadership styles. More specifically, we look at ways of giving employees the tools to lead in their own unique way. Then we share what it looks like to transition into a true leadership role, which is never easy. Our guest today is Anna Heinemann from Cypress and Grove Brewing Company in Gainesville, Florida. Anna talks about their shared leadership model at Cypress and Grove. All right, let's do this. Staring at that canning line really lit a fire in us. Every single bartender was supposed to ask, how did you hear about us? I fell in love with stuff that wasn't the crappy stuff we were drinking at college parties. Not to name names. <laughs> hey, you definitely need this sound bite in there. Let me, let me give you this right now. It's like super important, you know, because every brewery is a canning brewery these days. So it's like, that's the sound of the industry, my friends. What are you drinking? Uh, actually, I'm drinking a full transparency hard seltzer tall boy. What flavor? Black cherry. Black cherry. Got that black cherry today. All right, let's get started, man. Um Talk to me about leadership. What? Why is why is it so hard? What is the hardest part about developing a leadership team in a brewery? Yeah that that is a uh, that is an iceberg of a question there with just the just a little bit poking out above the surface of the sea. I mean, leadership is uh, leadership's a lot of things, and it's also highly individualized. You know, and leadership styles, leadership roles, leadership people. Um, everybody, everybody goes about it, you know, differently or has different theories, I think, on what makes a good leader and how to lead. Um, and I think one of the things is sometimes you have to realize that the people you're hiring to put into these leadership roles might have a different approach to leadership, um, than you do personally. It's not too dissimilar from, you know, making, putting out a style of beer that you're not the biggest uh, fan of but it's a style of beer that works. Um, mm -hmm. And I think with leadership, you need to trust the person a little bit more than the method sometimes. I'm sure many people would disagree with me, but you know, I, the faith has to go in the person, believing in the person, and this is my style of leadership. And then you know, if you're micromanaging somebody, it's not working, right? right. Um, you know, I think that you want to put people in roles that empower them to be the leader that you need them to be for their team. Um, and obviously with, with breweries, that's quite complicated because you have specific technical skill sets that are required as well. Um, and then, you know, once you get through all of that, that, um, you know, technical base that's needed, you got to be able to manage people and managing people is entirely different than anything else. Uh, managing people is, you know, uh, it's got its own, uh, it's got its own entire, uh, you know, HR devoted to it because right. it's a complicated and complex issue. Right. Uh, given the brewing industry, do you feel that leadership it falls by the wayside because it is such a friendly network? 
I wouldn't say that. I think that I think that leadership is more important now than it ever has been. Um, and I, I think when you say a friendly network, I, I feel like you're sort of alluding to the 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 idea, the general idea in the industry that the, the rising tide of craft beer lifts all boats. And, mm-hmm. you know, there is that big camaraderie, you know, we, our competition, you know, we generally tend to think of them more as friends and, uh, you know, less our competition locally. And I think that that's, I think that's really good. I mean, it makes it a very, uh, very welcoming and warm industry to work with. And it, it also, you know, it's something that all of our customers like seeing too. Um, at the end of the day though, you know, when we, when we started DC Brow, there's 1800 breweries in, the, in this country, you know? Um, and now we're, you know, I mean, we were approaching uh, 10,000. I don't know what's going to look like after COVID, but um, you know, definitely competition has arisen, you know, competition exists, but along oh, with yeah. that competition and that, that influx of, of businesses, um, the, the people factor has increased as well. You know, I think that, the uh, the job market out there for good people is much more full than it was 10 years ago when we were starting Brow. I mean, sure, we had great people in the industry back then, but a lot of people came into brewing in the past decade. And in so doing, there's a, a really big field of candidates to pick from. And I think you, um, you're able to find somebody who does have all these different skills and also knows how to balance camaraderie with business. Um, and it is sort of a fine line we play because at the end of the day, um, you know, all the breweries out there that are, you know, all of our local brewery friends, they're our buddies, but you know, the, the, the restaurants only got so many tap lines. Um, and it's great when you see a restaurant that just goes all local and puts on as many as they can. Um, but that's not always the case. So at the end of the day, whether we like to think of it as competitive or not, it is a competitive industry. Yeah. Let's talk about competition for a second. And more specifically on, um, you know, hiring, hiring various people. Do you ever find that when you hire someone from a competitor or from another market that you are inheriting, that you are inheriting, um, someone that came from what would be a poor leader run brewery or, uh, where there wasn't a whole lot of motivation or, I, I don't, I don't think so necessarily. I think, you know, um, I think sometimes people move on because they're looking for, you know, more of a challenge or more to learn. Um, I, I think that, you know, there's, there's a lot of reasons that people move on from a place. Uh, and I think a lot of times people carry with them the things that they learn. They might not be thinking that at the time. Um, but, you know, I think that they do carry with them what they learned, not only, you know, as far as brewing education goes or man or people management education goes in their last job, but, you know, they, they take their own personal experiences with them. And I think that, um, I think when people, what we've generally found is, you know, when people start somewhere, they bring their best side forward. And, mm-hmm. um, and then it, it's up to us to be there to nurture that and to receive that. I don't think we've ever had an experience with somebody who came from another brewery that, you know, necessarily, let's say, had learned bad methods of brewing or something, or, you know, we definitely had people who, who started working for us who did things different ways. I mean, brewing, you know, it's everybody's going towards the same goal, but it's also an industry um, that a lot of people have got their own ways of getting there. So 
it is common that somebody does something differently, some procedure, some process. That's mm-hmm. why we've got SOPs, you know, sure. um, we were talking about those in another episode, but uh, SOPs are really important because, you know, at DC Brow, we do things this way. And I, we've never found somebody who said, you know, really, no, I'm not going to do that. Uh, I think people are generally pretty respectful of, of the processes every brewery has. And also it's part of that, you know, that desire to gain uh, more and more knowledge and grow professionally. Sure. There's, there's times too, um, you know, referencing SOPs that people said, Hey, I think I might have a better way to do this. And at that point, you know, I think to, to really um, properly manage that situation, it's fair to, to listen to what that input is. And then, you know, there's times that we've changed process because we said, oh, yeah, that, that actually makes a lot of sense. Or, oh, there's some science behind this that, that supports that change. So, you know, I think, I think management also is a lot about listening to uh, the people that you've got working for you. Um, at the end of the day, everybody's working for the same goal and everybody's just trying to make the best beer that they can. Right. But back to the point on, uh, you know, someone coming to your brewery because they're hungry to learn and they're hungry to grow. I mean, I think that speaks directly to the leadership at the previous establishment they worked at where there was a ceiling and they couldn't push past it for whether it's micromanaging reasons, nepotism. uh, Or it could just be the size of the brewery too. I mean, you know, if you're working at a small brewery where basically it's, you know, the owner slash head brewer and you, well, there's not a lot of upward mobility there, you know, at least right. not in the short time. If the brewery grows, obviously there will be. But um, but I, and I think that's also something that breweries of all sizes face. You know, I mean, you can't just create a position when somebody's ready to learn more, take on new responsibilities. You can do that, but it's got to make sense. It's got to make sense financially. Uh, and it's got to make sense as far as what the brewery needs. Yeah. Um, balancing the growth of the brewery with the growth of the staff is a, is really challenging. Um, but you know, if, if you do it right, you know, your, your staff feels fulfilled, but it, it is a hard balance to achieve. Yeah. Do you guys set out career paths at DC Brow when someone comes in at an intro intro level, can you give them an idea of what it will look like? Yes, we do. And it's interesting you bring that up because when we started just some history for everybody, when we started, it was basically, Jeff and myself doing everything. Jeff is the brewer. I was sales, but it was just two of us. So I spent most of my days, you know, kegging beers out of bright tanks and stuff like that. Um, as we grew, we grew out of necessity because we didn't have a ton of, of spare, uh, you know, funds. So we grew out of necessity, but, um, as we, it, it, it took us a while to get to a place where we thought it was, where we saw the need to design um, a career path here at the brewery, but we have done that. I mean, we did it several years ago and it's given some sort of flow and balance to like, if somebody wants to get into the industry, we've got a way for them to do that, you know? Um, And they can start as, you know, they can start on the canning line and basically end up moving through all the different operations of the brewery at some point. Um, But also that system um, isn't for everybody. It is for people who want to, who want to become a part of the industry and don't have, uh, any previous experience. However, uh, we also, you know, hire people into various positions throughout the brewery, uh, when they come with the correct skill set for any one of those positions. 
Nice. I think that's really important to be able to lay out a career path. And I'm saying career path. I know when someone starts at the canning line, they're not thinking about a career, but they may be, right? They may be thinking about, right? right. They've got passion for this industry. And uh, I mean, one of one of our employees who started on the uh, canning line is now the head brewer of a very successful uh, brewery in South Korea. And, um, you know, they're crushing it over there. And um, there's really, you know, there's the only person who, who limits you is you. And Mm -hmm. I know that sounds cheesy, but it's true. And this is the sort of industry that, you know, has had apprenticeships, you know, it was, it is a skill that is taught from the top down. Um, and a lot of times, you know, the, the service, I think the old way was a lot of the, you know, the, the service that you were providing to the brewer, uh, was in turn for getting the knowledge. Um, it's not exactly like that here. Um, and I don't think it's like that in the industry so much anymore. Um, you know, Jeff had a, a, an apprenticeship basically, um, when he got into brewing, you know, about 20 years ago. Um, but now it's, it's, you know, you start on the canning line. So start on the canning line and work through the various operations on the canning line. And then if you want to stay there, great. You know, if you want to move on to the cellar, you can move into cellar and learn the various operations of the cellar and the brew house eventually. But, um, but I think the thing that people have, if they're coming to a brewery to work on a canning line is passion for beer and passion for the industry. And mm-hmm. that's one of the things about the industry and the people it attracts you don't have people who are getting into the beer industry just because they're looking to make, you know, because they're looking to make a, a ton of money. They everybody who comes to this industry comes to it because they're passionate about the product. They're passionate about beer. They enjoy how it's made. They enjoy um, the procedures involved with it, such as you know packaging. I mean, packaging is its own entire entity within the brewery. Whether you're a, a you know packaging in glass or cans. Uh, or draft only, or just sell out your your tasting room. That's its entire own division and its own science associated with all of it. Yeah. Have you or Jeff ever struggled with uh, being a peer instead of a, a leader? Uh, let's talk about like the tr- y'all's transition from doing it all to moving into more of a, a leadership role. And and I think earlier when I was talking about uh, the network, I was talking about more of internal network in the, in the, in the brewery. And Mm -hmm. because it's a social event to drink beers and share stories. And uh, I feel that it's easier to become a peer rather than a motivator or a leader. Yeah. Did you guys ever struggle with, with that in in any relationships in in the, in the brewery and and how did those, what were those outcomes? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that, um, I think that that is, part of the growth cycle of a business. Mm-hmm. I mean, when we started, it was Jeff and I in here, you know, you know, 16 to 20 hours every day. And then when our first employee came in, he was here with us also 16 to 20 hours a day. There's there's a natural bonding that is going to occur when you are with people that much and you're working that hard and you truly believe in what you're doing. Um, and yeah, I mean, you know, uh, I think Chris Graham, who's the, the, you know, guy I'm talking about, I mean, he's my, he's my best friend. So the answer is definitely yes. You know, I mean, he, uh, he became a peer, um, 
However, I think that over time and as the brewery grew and as, as we matured along with the brewery, um, those, those relationships weren't the same, you know, mm -hmm. uh, especially once we were able to institute a level of middle management. Um, it was, I think, appropriate uh, and necessary to put some, some distance into that relationship um, so that, you know, it's less of a, of a peer-oriented relationship but at the same time, this is the brewing industry, man. You know, people are, are in this industry because they're passionate about it. Mm -hmm. And whenever you share passion with somebody, you have a common bond. Um, I think that maybe not now because of COVID, but prior to COVID and certainly after it, you'd be hard pressed to find any brewery where the employees don't hang out in the tasting room after their shift and have a couple beers together. And hopefully the owner pops out there to, to have a beer or two with them as well, because that is important, you know. Um, but it's another one of these these items uh, having to do with balance. So right. I, maybe that's a, a theme of this show. Uh, the show's on leadership, but balance has, I think, come up several several different times here um, throughout the podcast. And and it really is a fine line that that you walk. Uh, but at the end of the day, a brewery is a business first. Um, it's a business, um, and it's got to be run like one. Right. Did you find it hard to transition into uh, your leadership role? Um, well, my leadership role, you know, it's a little different because sales and marketing was was really my sort of forte. Mm -hmm. So once we got sufficient staff in the brewing operations, I was really out in the market more. Um, I wasn't at the brewery uh, every day on the line. Uh, there were certainly times when, you know, I was filling in or on the line um, working with our team. But in general, um, it was a bit of a different relationship than, you know, maybe my partner had. But uh, but I feel like uh, the transition to being in a in a upper tier of management was something that happened almost without without really thinking about it. And maybe that's because I was away from the brewery more selling out in the market. But at the end of the day, um, you know, I feel like hopefully everybody on the team knows that I care about them and, and they should know that. Um, but I don't need to prove it to them that I'm their friend or a, a companion or something like that. I, I hope they just see it in the, the way that we run the company and the actions we take to do so. Yeah. I know for me, my experience with transitioning to a leadership has been recent, even though I've quote unquote owned this firm for forever. I was doing everything for the, for the longest time. Uh, I had help. I, I had some, yeah, I had some help, but at the end of the day, every piece of information stopped at, at my desk. And when we finally established the team, and started bringing in uh, super competent people uh, and and team members. It was difficult for me to sit back and say, "Okay, well, I I don't have to do this anymore. I don't have to have my eyes on this on every little thing that yeah. comes through." So that was a a, a big transition um, I, for myself. I think it's a struggle for every owner operator. You know, yeah. I mean, when you when you back away from the daily operations, but I feel like. In our case, I mean, you've known the brewery. We had this huge growth spurt, right? Mm -hmm. And it happened so quick where all of a sudden our staff increased drastically in order to fill the need. Um, and, 
you know, I was out on the street uh, all the time selling beer, you know, just keeping that chain moving. And it did happen very quickly. Like I said, almost too quick to think about, but you know, there's that, I think what you're talking about too, Chris, it goes back to just the need to trust the people you're putting in these management roles. Of course, it's hard to step away from all the daily operations that you did and the way you did them. But if you find the right people and you trust their procedures and you, tr- you empower them to, you know, step into these leadership roles, you're stepping away, you know, you're not micromanaging them. Yeah. Uh, and that's why I said, if, if you're micromanaging, it's just not working. Um, and we try to hire, um, we try to hire people who are bringing more of a skill set than we already have here, especially for, for the upper level positions. You know, I want to be able to learn things from the people that we're bringing into the fold. Um, right. If you're always hiring people that you're teaching, you're setting yourself back. You know, why not hire people who are bringing new skills in that you can, A, pick up on, which is a big benefit, um, but also, you know, you can sit back and let them do what they do and what you hire them for. Yeah. That's huge that you just said that because that was my MO, was hiring people that I had to teach, literally teach how to do accounting. And I kept telling myself, and I, I, I was failing at it miserably. So something had to change. And we uh, changed our hiring model. It's been amazing ever since. Um, Let me go back real quick to one thing you also hinted on was um, the familiarity and the comfortableness of doing what we know how to do. So I intuitively know accounting. I intuitively know tax. And it's very comfortable for me to do that. Mm -hmm. I find that... Sometimes when I'm speaking to prospects or I'm speaking to uh, potential potential new new leads or customers, they will say, you know, well, they do the accounting uh, at the brewery because they did it at their past job or that's mm-hmm. what they're they're really comfortable with. And it's this transition that I'm talking about. Yeah, um, I can get really quick validation wins when I sit down to do accounting or tax. Yeah. Um, or generate this, you know, a massive credit for a tax credit for somebody. It's it's mm-hmm. a huge, huge validation for me. But is that the highest and best use of my time? Uh, that was one of the pivotal turning points for me when I said that I've got to let a lot of the lower level stuff go, yeah. even though it's so comfortable and familiar to me, mm-hmm. and start working on making sure that we can make payroll in six months and yeah. grow the business to this level in this month. And so here's something about that, you know, um, so you sort of hit the nail on the head there. I think a lot of people, when they're getting into a business and starting, especially a passion business, something that they're really passionate about, they are thinking, these are the skills that I have that I can bring into this business and where, you know, I can add value to the business. That's great. Um, but at a certain point, the business itself becomes an entity that does need, uh, you know, somebody in that higher level visioning position and role to see it through. And, and, you know, if you're sitting there doing the accounting for the business and that's taking up all of your time, there's nobody steering the ship. Um, you know, yeah, you're, you're making sure that the numbers are great, but uh, after a while, a business is going to change. It's going to evolve. The market it's in is going to change. It's going to evolve. And you need to be paying attention to what's going on. And you need to be thinking about, where are we going to be in 10 years? 
You know, where are we going right. to be in five years? Where are we going to be in 10 years? Where are we going to be in 15 years? What are we going to do to get there? And at some point that really becomes, you know, pretty much the, the full-time thing because you have to evolve the vision. Um, Cause like the vision at the beginning is just getting open. Right. And right. if your vision is beyond that, it quickly gets brought back to just getting open uh, because that in itself is a major accomplishment. And then, you know, getting to five years, but somewhere in that five to 10 year mark, um, something happens where, you know, somebody needs to be monitoring the consciousness of the business as itself, because the business really becomes its own being and the business needs somewhere to go. It needs a road to get there and it needs somebody who's, you know, driving the business to that place, essentially. Right. Uh, do you believe the statement uh, leaders eat last yeah, I think so. I mean, I think that I think that at the end of the day, you've got to you've got to be able to provide for your, your you know, your whole business family, um, mm-hmm. you know. And so if it if it comes down to it, then, you know, it's definitely on the leader to take the last seat at the table. Um, if you're not taking care of your people, um, you know, what are you doing? I mean, you you've got to do that for moral reasons and also to keep the business going. If you don't take care of your people, they are going to leave. They are going to, you know, end up looking for greener pastures. But, um, I think, I think it's just, it's the right thing to do. Um, you have to appreciate the heart and soul of the brewery and those are your people. Yeah. I I totally get it. So that's the title of a book by Simon Sinek and I'm a huge fan of his. Um, I don't have any quotes to give you out of it, but it's a, it has tons of good examples of every, everything from private to public to military mm-hmm. uh, sectors where uh, leaders, examples of leaders eating last and the success they had. So I think that's a, a huge lesson that some people that I talk to don't get. And, and you, you will see those businesses continue, continue to struggle mm-hmm. if, they're put, if the leaders are putting themselves before the team and the, the well-being of the business. Well, I mean, think about it. Your team believes, especially in this industry, the team believes in the company. If people don't believe in the company and they don't believe in what they're doing, they they don't stay there. You know, like I said, this is a passion industry. People are passionate about the product. They're passionate about the companies they work for. You know, I mean, sure, in any industry, you know, there's there's a little bit of, you know, complaining about the boss, you know, that happens everywhere. But at the end of the day, I mean, like, you go to any brewery event, people are proudly wearing their brand clothing. You know, they're oh, yeah. wearing they're wearing their brewery shirt. They've got their brewery hat, their brewery jacket, you know, and they don't just wear it to industry events. They wear it when they go out to eat. They wear it when they go out to a bar, you know, they're, they're wearing their brewery t-shirt when they're out for a job. You know, I mean, this is a passionate industry and people are proud of what they do. Yeah. So I think that's, that sort of uh, enthusiasm and loyalty really deserves uh, some recognition from the people who are running these companies uh, and taking notice of how passionate people are. And it's a, it's a great gift because there's a lot of industries out there where, you know, people are just clocking in the hours, you know, they're just, they're just putting in the time so, so they can make a paycheck. And, and thankfully this is one of those beautiful industries where people are are working in it to live, you know, they're working in it because it fulfills them. So it's up to us and we don't always have 
the most money to, to pay everybody back. Cause like we said in the beginning, this is a, a razor thin margin industry. So it's up for us, up to us to really let our, our staff know that they are the heart of the brewery and we do appreciate that. Cool. Let's talk about challenges and joys and start with uh, the challenge of being a leader. Yeah. Um, well, you tell me. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, look, I think any, any challenge of, of being a leader is having to make hard decisions, hard decisions that impact the bottom line, hard decisions that uh, help the culture of the business, hard decisions that are going to move the bus in the right direction, right? Continue yeah. moving it forward. So, uh, it's and, and not only that, the, everything falls on the leader, right? Everything yeah. falls on the person who is names on the door, who created the brand, who created the beer. Uh, there's a reason why you have leaders in, in, in business. So it's extremely stressful. It's not for the faint of heart. And it just takes a lot of grit up front. And then it takes yeah. some brains behind it. Yeah, I mean, I think that the the role of the owner, um, the role of the leader, the role of the manager, you know, they all share, um, they all sort of share a responsibility that comes along with them, that at the end of the day, there's a lot riding on your shoulders, you know, um, I think, and I think that's regardless of this industry, but, but a lot of industries, but, um, you know, this is an industry where, um, you know, where, where it's, it's a tough industry and it's, it's increased in, you know, in volume as far as breweries go substantially increased in volume as far as the amount of beer consumed. Um, yeah, for a while, but that's sort of leveled out. So there's a lot of competition. And I think that you've got a lot of folks who are, um, you know, who are, are realizing that, uh, they're running businesses now and, yep. Uh, and you know, that's, that's a, a difficult, um, it's difficult to balance out running a business with, you know, your staff, but I think it's really important that you always present to your staff, um, how much you appreciate them and regardless of what's going on with the business, you know, in fact, even more so, you know, I mean, COVID this year, man, you know, I mean, was anybody prepared for all of draft business to just completely evaporate overnight? No, but you know, that's not a situation where you go to your staff and you complain about that. No, it's up to you to, to motivate your staff. It's up to you to, to tell your staff how much you appreciate them in this particular moment right now, where we're at. Um, and I think that's sort of, you know, that's part of the burden of, of leadership. You know, you have to internalize the issues, work on them to the best of your ability with the support that you've got, be it, you know, you from the accounting side, be it, you know, my partner from the brewing side, be it my distribution partners, um, you know, but you can't let that fall through uh, into, you know, into your staff. I think when it comes right. to your staff, you've got to, you've got to, that's what leadership is, you know you've got to be there to help guide them through this as well. I mean, Dude. everybody's going through this all together. You know what I mean? Yes. 
I I would agree that a level-headed leader is probably a better choice than a lot of the <laughs> a lot of the decisions that I made early on. It was um yeah, I uh, I have I have a lot of good stories. Well, bad stories, but uh learned a lot and and I always told a casualty that you know, this is a small business and I'm allowed to make mistakes and I made a huge mistake and I apologize. Um so whether that was you know, me losing my cool or me ending a, you know, terminating a, an employment engagement or whatever, you know, as running a business is really, really tough. And as a leader who's doing most of the work, it's very stressful and we're human. We're allowed to make mistakes. So we just hopefully learn from those mistakes and don't do them again. And I mean, that's all, that's all you can hope to do, you know, Um, move on with a lesson. And I think that no matter what, no matter how much time you spent studying your craft, whether it be it accounting, um, be it business, be it brewing, there's stuff that's going to happen in the moment that, you know, no, you're not prepared for, you know, I mean, this year, I mean, you know, who is expecting a pandemic this year, you know, and obviously that's an extreme right. example, but there's going to be little things that happen all the time. Um, you know, be it the, the, the crazy review that somebody left on your Yelp account that just burns you up, you know, um, be it, be it an employee situation that might happen that, you know, um, you weren't anticipating, you know, I mean, maybe, uh, who knows what it is, but at the end of the day, you know, you got to pull the emotion out of it from a leadership role. And then you got to be able to put it back in, in the right places. You know, I mean, I think the right places is always paying it forward to your staff, but you don't just have to pay it forward by, um, you know, constantly telling them how much they mean to you. You know, hopefully they get that from the general operations, but you pay it forward by trusting them. And, you know, if you've made the right hire, if you put the right person into the right role, then you can sit back and empower that person to do their job the way that they, you know, are comfortable doing it and hope sure there's going to be times when maybe it clashes with the company policy and has to be addressed. But in general, I think that should be the hope of any leader. If when you're talking about hiring and when you're talking about finding the right people, if it's the right person, then you are going to be able to learn from them. And, you know, then you're going to be able to put your time and your effort and your energy into the vision of the company and where you're going in the next five to 10 years. Right. Yeah. And you know, pretty quick when someone's in the right seat, right? You, when you hire someone and, and even after the honeymoon period, when someone gets it, they get it. And that's one of the best feelings. Let's transition to the joy of leadership. That's one of the joys of of leadership is when you've made a solid hire for me and you just, you're, they're getting fulfilled. You're getting fulfilled. The work's getting done. uh, Customers are happy. It's, uh, it's great. What, what about you for a joy of being a leader? I mean, I think the joy of leadership for me, and I've been talking about it a lot here in the past few minutes, is when I sort of realized that I have the space now to focus on the future instead of just the present, you know? I mean, ideally, we should always be thinking about the future, but let's be honest. um, That's not how the business world works. There's things that pop up, things that happen. There's constant management of the business that needs to take place. And to be in a good a, a good, you know, feeling with management is to know that the operations are handled. 
the things that the things that make this business run are being handled. Right. You know, I now have got the time to focus on where the business is going. And I think that's I I think that's the most important thing. Um so that's a true joy. Uh and it doesn't always it's not always like oh you just realize that, you know, and, and um I think it's the sort of thing where as you mentioned earlier, maybe you're holding on to things that things that you have always done for the business or holding on to these things and maybe, you know, micromanaging them in your own mind, but eventually gradually you start to realize that like, Hey, this is happening here. The business is running. The the people we're trusting to do this are doing it well. And, you know, eventually you realize, Hey, it's time to really put our efforts into where we're going and how we're getting there. I mean, you know, we launched a seltzer this year. Um, And if you were to tell me, you know, when we started out that we'd be launching a seltzer, um, you know, I, I don't know if I would have disagreed with you, but, you know, I, you know, I had, a, we had a very specific vision of what this brewery is going to be when we open, but things happen. The market changes, time changes. And you know what? I like seltzer. Um, I'm glad that we were able to start to look at what it would be like if we made a seltzer how we could make it, what would it look like? What could we, you know, what could we be looking for, for projections on what we would be selling? What is this going to cost us to make? Um, and I think for any entrepreneur, uh, you, you really like doing that. You really like doing that visioning and thinking about where a business can go. So it's really rewarding when you get that back because you sort of give that up for a little bit when you are in the, um, the throes of running the business. You know, Um, so I think that's one of the most rewarding things about good leadership. Right. I want to challenge everyone as we wrap this episode up to just sit back and no matter how crappy the day, week or year has been, just to sit and think uh, about what you have built and what you are grateful for. And I know that it's hard for me sometimes to do that, but I've gotten better at it. Right. I've gotten better at sitting back and saying, look, while I always want more, right now I'm in a really good spot. And balancing the complacency and the acknowledgement, I think, is huge for me because before it would be really beating myself up over we didn't get more or grow. But dude, at the end of the day, I have a lot to be grateful for. You have a lot to be grateful for. Most business owners that are still operating have a lot to be grateful for no matter how, how shitty 2020 was, it's uh, the reality. So, And it's over now, baby. <laughs> it is, man. 2021, here we come, or here we are. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think you hit it on the head. I mean, you know, I think that, I think just even outside of business, achieving happiness has a lot to do with practicing gratitude, you know? Yep. And the the more often you realize what you have to be thankful for. I just think that the happier people be, you know, people are going to be. So, um, so yeah, man, I think that's some, some great advice for anybody. Uh, but especially people who are caught up in the throes of running a business, because I mean, at, at many times you are, you know, you can't see the forest cause you're lost in the trees. So however right. that expression goes, you know, before we get to our interview with Anna, Brandon was unable to make the interview portion of this episode due to a scheduling error. So I took this one solo. 
but he'll be back next week. All right, let's go talk to Anna. Hey, I want to welcome uh, Anna Heineman from Cypress and Grove Brewing in Gainesville, Florida. What's going on, Anna? Thank you for having me on this podcast. This is such a delight. Okay. <laughs> a fun fact for the listeners, and uh, most of my team and customer base know that I went to school at the University of Florida and love oh. Gainesville. Yay. I was there from Yay, that's Yeah, I was there from 98 to 2002 and I was like pre-Tebow years when it was easy to get in pre multiple national championships and it was a um it was easier to get in then. I mean, I think University of Florida is really difficult to get into now. Yes. Yes, I would agree. I would agree. I think we're also the same age. That's exactly when I was in school. Are you a Gainesville native or have you, did you move there? Yes, I'm from Iowa. So I am not a Gainesville native. Um, my husband and I moved here in 2009. So it was after, I think, I'm not quite sure Tebow's years, but I think it was right on the edge. And um, ever since then, we've watched the UF Gators not be nearly as good, but this season is surprisingly fun to watch. Yeah. The the city, I mean, the city is the college, right? The, the college drives oh, the majority of the, of the city and it's, um, it's just huge. Um, so tell us about Cypress and Grove. Give us a quick elevator pitch. Um, how old are you brew house size and like, what's your sales makeup? So um, we are three and a half years old. We started in an old ice house, basically in the middle of the city. So it's pretty close to downtown, pretty close to the university. Um, it was completely dilapidated. There, was, there wasn't electricity. There wasn't plumbing. There was nothing. It was a shell. Um, but we got it because it had these great old bones and this beautiful history. So it was an ice plant at the turn of the century where it had this amazing well that reached 350 feet down straight into the aquifer. And of course, at the beginning of the century, ice was critical for cooling, for refrigeration. So it was right on the railroad tracks that now has been turned into a rail trail, but it was kind of the, a huge, important business in the center of, center of Gainesville. So um, it went into this repair. We don't know the exact dates, but probably in the 70s it closed and was a few other businesses, um, but then the last, probably 10 years, it was just abandoned. So it took us a lot longer than we thought it was going to, to refurbish this old place. But um, I'm so how, glad how many that square we did feet? because uh, how big 15, is the building? 000, oh, wow. 15,000 square feet. It's big. Yeah. So, um, and a, a large Part of that is actually our tap room space. 
So we have a big brick room that has all this historic brick and these cool beams. And we are able to salvage a lot of the timber, which we use to make our own tables. Mm-hmm. And we are able to um, use the well. So the well that was once used to make ice now gets pumped straight from the aquifer um, to make our beer. Is it just delicious water? It is. And there's, yeah. I mean, it bypasses the city. We're able to treat it to um, make it perfect for the beer chemistry. Um, and, but if you come into the tap room, we have a spigot on our cold liquor tank that you can come and just get water straight from the aquifer um, and drink it as between your beers. Wow. That's about as pure as it gets. That's amazing. Tell us about your brew setup. Like um, what size brew house do you guys have? And um, are you, do you, are you on distribution? Are you primarily tap room? Like what that, what that looks like? We're a 15 barrel brew house. Um, prior to the pandemic, we were almost all, um, tap room sales. We were doing some distribution, but it was only kegs, um, and locally just other restaurants around Gainesville. Mm-hmm. When the pandemic hit mid-March and we were forced to close, that was our revenue. We had people inside, we had butts and seats. We are getting our stride in January. We had events booked almost every single weekend. Our event room was booked. We had so many cool things lined up, and especially in March, right when the weather was supposed to be beautiful. And we were forced to take a hard look at where we were going to go from here. Here we had um, our four fermenters full of beer, And we did not have anything in cans or bottles. So um, we pivoted. And within a month, we had labels, we had names, and we were able to hire Ironheart Canning from Sarasota to come up with their mobile canning line Mm -hmm. and put four of our styles in cans that we could sell out of our tap room to go. Um, it was, and an, I felt like we were this fast moving train that all of a sudden had to like take this hard right turn. And mm-hmm. it was either going to work and we were going to get our steam and momentum or we were going to fall off the track. But we made it work, which is amazing. So, oh. and what was also amazing is Gainesville. I mean, this beautiful little community, they they would come and in that moment when we didn't have cans, we didn't have cans for like a month or six weeks after we had to close our doors and they supported us in buying gift certificates. They would come and fill their growlers. They, they just, held us up during this time that we desperately needed it because every brewery owner knows we are the overhead of a manufacturing plant is extraordinary. Mm -hmm. Um, And you need that taproom sales 
to make it. So, so we made it through. That's awesome. Yeah. There's so many stories such as the one you just gave of how people have pivoted during these atypical times. And it's great that you guys did not just sit and wait and rest on laurels that um, you took action it sounds to me like you tried to convert your tap room into somewhat of a bottle shop, which is, you know, kind of what we've been preaching all year. Um, that's incredible. Uh, kudos to you guys and yeah. kudos to everyone else that that's kind of survived this. Um, talk to me a little bit about how many employees you guys have, because the focus of today's episode is leadership. And I want to get your take on, on a few thoughts about leadership, but let's start with how big is your team? Um, our team is fairly small. We have eight people and they, um, move from, you know, bartender. Sometimes the bartender has a shift as being a bartender. And then it's also the sales manager. Um, operation manager is also the bartender. So they're kind of fluid in their positions. Um, but we have a really strong team. And what was amazing was, the fact that they all stood by us during this really, really hard year and having to pivot so quickly on our feet. Um, they worked with us and made it happen. Yeah. So describe to us what leadership in the brewery means to you. Um, first of all, tell, tell us your role because we haven't even... <laughs> We haven't even discussed oh. what's your responsibilities at the brewery. I know you're a co-founder, but uh, yes. tell me what your day-to-day looks like, and and then let's transition into the like what leadership means. Okay, so um, I am the financial manager of our team, and um, my husband is the head brewer, and our president is actually the founder of the brewery. It was his his dream and he's an amazing president. Um, and then his wife does the marketing and the creative stuff behind our team. So, um, but I think what's kind of specific to our team is the fact that, um, I'm the only one that quit my day job prior to this, the rest of our team, it's their side hustle. So to have yeah. a large brewery where this is, this is especially our president and our head brewer, it's their second full-time job. And the two of our families have, um, we all have young children. It is a lot, especially yeah. during the pandemic when, when there's no playbooks to go by and we are figuring it out as we go. Awesome. Since you are, would you say that you spend the most time at the brewery of the four or is it, is everyone equal? Um, I would say pretty much everybody is equal. I just happened to, to quit what I was doing before. So mm-hmm. I can be there during the day when my other three partners can't do more of the leadership Everybody's decisions. Working incredibly hard. Oh, I, I can imagine. Totally. I, I, I know there's a million stories out there just like you guys where uh, it's it's a second side hustle, second career, um, and they're they're working around the clock to, to make this thing happen. Um, 
do, do you feel that the leadership, some of the leadership falls on your plate more? Um, and, and what I'm getting at here is, is what's y'all's philosophy on leadership or what's your philosophy on, on leadership? Because you have, it sounds like eight employees. What, what does that look like as far as um, leadership, motivation, accountability? Pat is our president and he is, he's a very strong, kind, diplomatic person. But he, he leads in a way where he allows me to take charge when I need to, Gary to take charge when he needs to, and Sally to take charge when she needs to. So I think because especially Pat and Gary aren't boots on the ground all the time, our leadership position within the four founders is very fluid. Okay. Um, it. It works well for our team most of the time. What's hard sometimes is, you know, I will step in and say something, but then just because I'm there and and not having communicated with the other people versus having like a primary like president, vice president, um, chain of commands in a large institution kind of thing. But we all have really good communication within us and with our staff that I think it works the best that it can, but I I guess, go ahead. Yeah. So I was going to say, I think the leadership topic is very unique for the brewing industry because in most cases, what you described is what I see where owners and um, founders are working the business, either selling or brewing well into a couple years uh, into into the business. And at some point Mm -hmm. when the business grows to a certain size, there needs to be a transition of working in the business and start working on the business. Uh, And I think that's really difficult for some brewery owners because they've been grinding so hard for so long. Uh, You just, it's the, it's the daily grind of making beer and selling beer is, um, it lends itself to really getting remaining in the weeds rather than seeing a light at the end of the tunnel. And I think some issues that arise from that is leaders become peers instead of motivators. Uh, And they uh, become drinking friends and they become, you know, it's just just the, the style of the industry. Well, we've all realized this is a serious industry and serious business. There's a lot of money to be made, could be made. So, the my goal when speaking to brewery owners is around um, framing the transition. Uh, if a transition is even possible, some breweries it's not even possible yet, right? Other breweries don't right. want to hear it, and some breweries are like, "Yes, you know, how, how do we get out of this? How how do we build the right team? How do we build the right accountability? How do we build the the trust?" And um, that's kind of where I'm coming from. And um, can you? Can you speak a little bit to, let's say, three years or five years down the road? Do you think it would be hard to transition out of the day-to-day for um, even Pat, the president, or yourself? Um, Do you envision a leadership team where they are handling uh, most of the day-to-day and you guys are being involved when it's high-level decision-making? Yes. Oh my God, that is so the goal. That is the goal for sure. 
And we're at that, that pivotal point right now where we're big enough, where we need the help. But, um, and our, our business plan was at this point, you know, three and a half years old, um, looking at four, we would have shifted. And the hard thing is, prior to the pandemic, we weren't big enough yet. But had 2020 been a normal year, we would have had the income, we would have had um, the demand, we would have had the, um, we would have grown enough to have brought in enough revenue to have hired a full-time brewer and who had a bunch of experience and we would have been on that path, but we're not there yet. We are not like this year has been so devastating for all hospitality businesses. So we're at this point of like realizing we need to move into cans and needing to hire more people. I was just speaking with Pat this morning and we were talking about how we absolutely need to hire three more people and just can't. Like we, as a leadership team, like even the four of us, we've been working on this for seven years and haven't taken a paycheck at all. We're still just grinding. And we're like, this is supposed to be the year that we are going to. But um, it's more important for us to hire people and to delegate the tasks that we're doing because the way that that especially Pat and Gary are working is unsustainable like we have to hire more people in order to grow but we also have to be able to open our doors up fully and able to grow so um you know we have this huge space that we can't bring people in right now so what do you do except hold our breath and just wait till the pandemic passes Right. So I think it's important that you honor what's actually happening right now and you honor what the plan should have been and what it actually is. Um, mm-hmm. And it sounds to me like you guys are making financial decisions, which is very good instead of emotional decisions. Um, mm-hmm. And But the most important part is you have uh, an eye on what you want. You have a, a goal on on what this leadership team looks like and what the org chart looks like um, to relieve the leaders from the day-to-day grind and get them into more recipe development or partnerships or um, unique uh, branding opportunities and, and what, what other leaders do when they're not brewing and cleaning and, and, and doing the day-to-day. Absolutely. So yeah, yep. I think, you know, we're, we're launching this podcast at a time where, uh, the world has so much uncertainty. 2020 was a complete mess. And, but with that being said, breweries that had a strong financial foundation will make it. They made it and will make it. Mm-hmm. Um, the ones that were shaky before are, I don't think are in, in such a good place. And we're already seeing them shut down faster and faster. So um, my biggest uh, shout out to you guys is, 
continue doing you know what you're doing and uh, maybe document out the what, what this what this team looks like you know and and post it somewhere uh draw it out or place it where you guys can see it as a goal that if maybe by Q3 of 2021 you guys are able to fulfill half of it or 75% of it um yeah yeah i am expecting 2021 to be the second half of it to be a very strong year for breweries um i don't i've just have a lot of good feelings um once a lot of the fear of this pandemic passes the vaccine so i think if if there's a tangible goal to, to go after um especially around building out that that team then i think that um you'll be in a great position with i sure hope yeah so with that being said uh do you want to give anybody a shout out today uh we like to end every episode with a a shout out from our guests I guess our local following here in Gainesville, like, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for showing up, for being there, for sitting on our lawn, for getting growlers when everything except grocery stores were shut down. You've carried us through. Thank you from the bottom of our hearts. Awesome. Cool. Anna, well, thank you so much for joining us today on the true craft podcast. I appreciate uh, the interview and talk to you soon. Oh, thank you. This was really enjoyable. Thanks so much for having me on. Thank you for listening to this episode of the True Craft Podcast. Links to cool information about our guests and other fun facts can be found in the show notes. This podcast is sponsored by Small Batch Standard. Small Batch Standard is the premier financial agency built to serve the craft brewing industry. We help craft breweries grow profits through outsourced accounting, tax planning and filing, and growth consulting. Visit sbstandard.com today to learn more and request a discovery call. See ya.